Well, this is not the Palm Sunday we expected. Uh, we expect on Palm Sunday to have uh, cute kids, you know, the, the Bardsley, Fair, and Hoyt kids processing with palm branches up the center aisle triumphantly, adorably, tripping the kid in front of them. You know, we expect on Palm Sunday to be filled with the energy of a bunch of friends gathering together in a sanctuary, coming through the long, cold days of winter, who are now ecstatic about the sunshine of spring. This is not at all what we expected. Uh, that's what we expected, a worship experience like that. But what we got instead was lockdown, social distancing, quarantine. We're not dressed in our Sunday best, but stuck at home in our pajamas and boxers. You know who you are. Church without a hello, a hug, or a handshake feels like a burger without beef or pizza without dough. You introverts love this. But really, for all of us, this is really, really hard. Uh, we want to gather with friends for church. Uh, we want to gather in a sanctuary. We expect when we come to church uh, to be greeted by the Hoovers who will make sure that all of us check in, but that's not what we've gotten at all. This is disappointing. This is hard. It's not what we expect. But maybe, just maybe, God will find a way not to meet our expectations, but to exceed them. Maybe, just maybe, God will defy our logical box of expectations like he once did way back, coming to us not as a prince born in a royal palace, but as a helpless baby born in a manger to peasant parents from Podunk, coming to us not as a violent Roman conquering warrior, but as a meek, peaceable Messiah. Palm Sunday is really all about expectations. Um, ever since that first Palm Sunday, way back in Mark chapter 11, the text that was read by the staff just a few minutes ago, Mark chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. And we're going to look at the details of verses 7 to 10, because the devil is really in the details in terms of the Jewish warped expectations of Jesus. A couple details I want to point out. You notice that Mark mentions twice uh, the word cloaks. They put cloaks on the colt for Jesus to sit. And then as Jesus was coming triumphantly into Jerusalem, they piled cloaks on the road. Why would Mark mention it? What's significant about the cloaks? Well, uh, the word cloaks actually is not used that often in Scripture. One of the times it is used in the Old Testament is 2 Kings 9.13. Here's how it's used. Uh, the Jews were being oppressed by Jezebel, that witch, and the prophets of Baal, and they didn't have a king at the time. So uh, they wanted to coronate Jehu who's known in Scripture as a man of blood. They wanted to coronate him king, but they didn't have a throne, so they piled up cloaks 
to form a makeshift throne so they can coronate Jehu as king and then commission him to go and just tear up Jezebel and the prophets of Baal. And he did. And the Jews were free again. And then there's this mention of branches. The people were uh, piling up branches on the road as Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. Uh, A few hundred years before Jesus comes into Jerusalem with the waving and the laying down of palm branches, uh, in 2nd century B.C., there was a guy named Judas Maccabeus, a Jew, who led the Jews in a revolutionary war against the oppressive Seleucid Empire. And Judas Maccabeus led the Jews in a revolt. Uh, They were victorious. And then when Judas comes back into Jerusalem with the Jewish army, uh, the people are waving palm branches. It's not a sign of praise. It's more a symbol of military might and victory, the branches. Then there's this mention, this odd mention of King David. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the north. In the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. David reigned 1,000 years before this event in Mark chapter 11. What does David have to do with this? Well, David for the Jews uh, represents like the political, economical, military heyday for the Jewish people. Back in 1000 BC, the Jews were on top of the political food chain. David was a mighty mighty warrior as a king. Uh, Think Kennedy for the Democrats. Think Reagan for Republicans. That's what David was for the Jews. And they see in Jesus something akin to King David. And they shout out twice the word, Hosanna, Hosanna which is not a cute little word of praise. It's actually an exclamation, a request that means literally, save us now, save us now. Well, save them from what? Well, Jews at the time of Jesus needed saving from the Roman people who had occupied their land and oppressed them. Save us from Rome is what they were shouting. To Jesus. Now, Matthew's gospel tells us that uh, this triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem happens during the time of the Passover. The Passover is an event that commemorates what happened in 1440 BC when God, through Moses, led the people out of slavery in Egypt, made them free. And what would happen during the time of Jesus for the Passover is Jews from all over the ancient Near Eastern culture would come back to the city of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem would swell in size with lots and lots, tens of thousands of Jewish men. They had numbers, the Jews did. Now, when you think about all of this, Uh, When you think of the cloaks which bring to mind King Jehu, the man of blood, and when you think of the branches that bring to mind uh, Judas Maccabeus, a revolutionary military leader, and when there's the sighting of King David, uh, a warrior king, 
And it's the time of the Passover, a time that commemorates freedom from oppression for the Jews, and the Jews have numbers in Jerusalem. What do you think the Jews are expecting from Jesus? They're expecting Jesus to save them politically. And because they were so locked in to their expectations of Jesus, they didn't realize he was trying to exceed their expectations. He was trying to save them, not politically, but completely, eternally. And they missed it. They expected the Messiah to come with Arnold Schwarzenegger-sized biceps, carrying a machine gun in each hand. Instead, Jesus came flexing his muscles humbly and sacrificially by dying on the cross for the sins of the world. But because Jesus did not meet their expectations, they missed it. And when they missed it, because they missed it, the same Jews who were shouting Hosanna expectations on Palm Sunday, on Good Friday, were yelling out, crucify him, crucify him. And it wasn't just the crowd, actually. It was the 12 apostles, too. I mean, Jesus did not meet their expectations, and every one of them betrayed or denied or rejected Jesus when he needed them most. Even Peter, Jesus' best friend, arguably, denied even knowing Jesus. Not because he was afraid of a little girl, (laughs) but because Jesus did not meet Peter's expectations of a warrior, Roman conquering Messiah. Peter missed it. I wonder how many of us, if we're honest, uh, would confess that there have been times when deep in our soul, uh, our hopeful Hosanna save us one day was met the next day with a disappointed crucify him. I think probably the biggest struggle that we experience in the Christian walk are those times when we hope God will do something. He'll save us in a certain way. We expect him to save us in a certain way at a certain time. And he doesn't meet our expectations. You pray and you keep praying and you fast and ask God to heal your spouse from sickness. And you expect that God will show up and do a miracle of healing, but he doesn't. Crucify him. You work your tail off for your employer. You do it effectively and consistently, and you expect that God will grant you a raise or a promotion, but you get fired. Crucify him. You battle depression, but you decide to lean into Scripture, lean into God, lean into prayer, trusting that God will show up and do for you what you can't do for yourself. You expect him to free you from the prison of depression, but you're still stuck crucify him. 
You keep yourself sexually pure out of loving obedience to God, hoping that he will send Mr. or Miss Wright your way and you are still alone. Crucify him. You raise your son to love Jesus and your son strays, but you expect God in time to bring him back, but he seems uh, farther from God than ever before. Crucify him. Your marriage is on the rocks, so you and your spouse, you pray, you go to counseling, you get your Christian friends and your pastor uh, to come alongside of you, and you expect God to restore the marriage so that it's better than ever, but it ends. Crucify him. When God doesn't save us in ways we expect him to, we're tempted to yell out, crucify him in our soul. And the way that we crucified Jesus is by, when he doesn't meet our expectations, uh, giving up belief in him. We stop hoping in him, trusting in him, obeying him, loving him, watching for him, waiting for him. We bail. But here's the lesson that I think Holy Week teaches us. And it's one that the Jews of Jesus' day, most of them missed. Don't bail on Christ when you experience the Good Friday death of your Palm Sunday expectations. Hang in there past the Good Friday death of your Palm Sunday expectations long enough so that God might exceed those expectations on Easter Sunday. Don't bail on God too soon. What I'm saying is, if you remain faithful in the midst of your disappointment with unmet expectations, if you remain faithful in the God who is faithful to you, you will discover that even though God doesn't always meet our expectations, he so often exceeds them. You may know what a stereogram is. Uh, A stereogram is one of those... uh, pictures that you have to look into, like a long time before something uh, emerges, an image emerges. It looks like a bunch of gobbledygook, like wavy lines and uh, psychedelic 70s colors. It looks like it's really ugly and messy and uh, without a whole lot of definition. But if you can train yourself, your eyes, to stop and stare at the stereogram, to watch and wait long enough and to let go of what you expect to see. In time, a beautiful image emerges from that stereogram. What am I saying? I'm saying that if we could just wait and watch and and stare and be still and wait for Easter Sunday, we'll discover that God doesn't meet, but often exceeds our expectations. And Lent, this 40-day journey of Lent, is designed for the crucifixion of our warped expectations of God. And once we're freed from those warped expectations, once they're crucified, 
God can do exceedingly more than we can ask or think or expect or imagine. During this journey called Lent, we are reminded that even if the candidate we expect to win loses in a landslide, and even if we uh, don't earn the money we expect to earn or get the job we expect to get, or even if the COVID-19 crisis lasts longer than we expect it to last and we're out of work longer than we expect to be and our kids who are at home with us drive us crazier than we expect them to, God will find a way to exceed our expectations. If we can just stare long enough into the stereogram of God's often cryptic love and will, we will discover an image emerge that shows us that the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is alive in us, and that will exceed our expectations every time. If we can stare into the stereogram, the image of a God who's been raised from the dead will surprise us and delight us. What does that mean for us? How do we do that? How does, how does the Christian stare into the stereogram long enough past the Good Friday death of Palm Sunday expectations to experience Easter resurrection? Well, I think Luke tells us in his gospel. In chapter 24 of Luke, there is this uh, wonderful story that I think is about what it means for the Christian to stare into the stereogram. Uh, Luke chapter 24, verses 13 and following. Two disciples are coming from Jerusalem on the road to Emmaus. And they are disappointed. They are experiencing the death of their dreams because Jesus has just been crucified. They don't know yet that he's been risen. And they're walking on the road, and there appears with them a stranger. It's Jesus, but they don't recognize him. And in Luke 24, verse 21, they say this. We had hoped that this Jesus would be the one to redeem Israel. It's their way of saying we expected Jesus to set us free from Roman oppression, but instead he died on a cross, a Roman cross. We expected him to shed Roman blood, and he shed his blood. But these two disciples, as disappointed as they were with unmet expectations from God, said to this stranger, stay with us. And so through the evening, they opened together in the midst of their disappointment, Scripture, they had fellowship with each other, and then they broke bread together. And at the table, Jesus, the stranger, took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and then passed the bread to these two disciples. And then it says their eyes were opened, and they saw the image come out of the stereogram. They knew that they were sitting at that moment with Jesus. And because they hung in there, because they didn't bail on Good Friday, but they hung in there, they kept 
uh, searching the scriptures. They kept uh, staying in fellowship and bringing their questions and their doubts and their disappointments together in community. And then they experienced the sacrament of communion. All of these means of grace enabled them to see a beautiful image of a resurrected king emerge from the stereogram of their disappointment. They hung in there. You want to save yourself some stress, some anxiety. Do yourself a favor. Let go, release your expectations of God. There's a lot you can control. You can control your career to some extent. You may be able to control your kids. Maybe you can control your diet. You might be able to control your daily schedule. But you cannot control the God of the universe. He is unpredictable. He's untamable. He's indescribable. He's amazing. So let go of your expectations of this God. And he will exceed your expectations. In this Good Friday moment of disease and death and distancing, we don't know what to expect. But here's what I think we can expect. We can expect that this unpredictable, untamable, uncontainable God who knows us and loves us will surprise us and delight us in ways that far exceed our expectations. So what am I saying? I'm saying if we can find the grace to release our expectations, God will find a way to exceed them. Let's pray. God, first I want to just pray and ask you to forgive me, forgive us for those times when because you didn't meet our Palm Sunday expectations, we yelled out in our soul, crucify him. In subtle and not so subtle ways, Maybe we abandoned you, we stopped hoping in you, stopped reading your word, stopped praying, stopped trusting, stopped gathering with other believers and wrestling with the questions of doubt and faith. Forgive us. Forgive us for trying to squeeze you into a theological box of expectation that is way too small for you. God, would you help us in the midst of whatever unmet expectation we find ourselves wrestling with to wait it out, to not bail, to access means of grace, scripture, prayer, fellowship, communion that allows us in time to see the stereogram of your love and resurrection emerge. In the name of Christ, the risen one, we pray. Amen.